Welcome to the community of Holy Stragglers. It's a place for people who seek to follow in the way of Jesus, at least most days, but who wander and wonder and straggle and struggle along. If you don't have it all nailed down, then you are most welcome here and you're in good company. I'm Peggy Hames. I'm a minister and a therapist and a writer, and I enjoy bringing all of those worlds together because sometimes it is the bumps and bruises in our psyches that get in the way of the fullness of our souls. So, welcome. You wouldn't think that it would be the most comforting words around. When you read the works of of prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, they come along during the time of the exile. And if you don't know the story, then uh, Israel got a little full of themselves. And they decided that because they were God's chosen people, that God was not going to let anything bad happen to them. Now, not only did they believe this, But they also lost sight of the most important things. Like, for example, holding to the form and the structure of their worship while neglecting the heart of it, while neglecting the poor and the needy. Which, you know, as you think about churches that are insisting upon the fact that they have to be able to worship like they've always done inside their sanctuary, singing up a storm, or else it's not real. Ah, I'm thinking there maybe there's a sermon in there somewhere, but that's not the purpose today. I'll save that for another time. Anyway, the, the prophets kept warning them, saying, just because... You're God's people doesn't mean God is going to protect you from the consequences of your actions. They don't believe him. And in fact, Jeremiah gets in real trouble for it. And he keeps trying to like give up his vocations. Like, God, I did not sign up for this. Well, what the prophets warned about happens in terrible ways. Uh, the Babylonians overtake and conquer the people of Israel. Jerusalem is overtaken. The people are taken into exile. Many of the best and brightest of Israel are taken into exile in Babylon. And the hardest blow of all for them is that the temple, the beautiful beautiful temple, God's very own house, is destroyed. It is nothing but a pile of rubble. So maybe you know about being in the rubble. I think that for pretty much nearly all of us, in one way or another, unless we are going through life like just completely... um, clueless and with blinders on, for almost all of us, there's some kind of rubble. Maybe it's the rubble of your children's school schedules or your college kids' plans. Maybe it's the rubble of your job or the business you had. Uh, Maybe it's just the rubble of every day where 
you know, back in the day, we could go in the grocery store and pretty much plan that they were going to have what we needed, like unless they had this incredible sale. And in that case, you'd get a rain check and get it when they restocked. You know, we didn't have this thing of going into the store and seeing empty shelves. It kind of feels like living in the rubble. Maybe you've had that uh, on a more personal level where your life just falls apart. You know, maybe it was that marriage you thought was going to be forever and ever, amen, and it broke up in, in sometimes really painful, hurtful ways. Maybe that person that you thought would, was always going to have your back, and then you find out they've betrayed you, and that relationship is a pile of rubble now. You know, I, I know something about that because I've been through some rubble times myself. There was one really hard time, which I was in my early 30s, and I had decided, well, I'm going to go to therapy and get a, a little tune-up. You know, I really, I thought it was going to be like six weeks. You know, just just bump up the self-esteem a little bit. Because I realized that how I saw myself was in great odds with how everybody else saw me. And I knew I needed to get that right. So I go, I start working, yeah, 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 yeah. And then out of the blue, like these waves of feelings came up. It wasn't just anger, it was rage. And, and as we've watched protesters in the streets, sometimes people say, I don't understand that kind of rage. Well, I do, because I felt it, and I didn't destroy anything, but Boy, I wanted to. I remember sitting in a, a meeting. It was like a citywide clergy meeting. And, oh, man, what I wanted to do was just to turn over that conference room table and throw a chair through the window. I wasn't mad at them. I was just angry. I was enraged. And then there's like this deep sadness came and I couldn't figure out that none of these feelings matched up with what I was living in my present day life until one night when I started having flashbacks and the stories that my protective self had kept from my consciousness for years started letting them out. And I started dealing with some really significant abuse that I had suffered earlier in my life. And it was a time of rubble. Not just because I had to like totally reconfigure my perception of what my life had been. But I was serving in a church and I had to leave. And I was serving on in, in national um, organizations, brand new national organizations, and I was getting to be on the board that helped craft them and shape them. And I had to walk away because I couldn't heal what I needed to heal and have anything left to give to anybody else. Maybe you know that place where you were in such deep grief, you got nothing for nobody. 
And walking away from those things meant a real question of identity. Who am I? Who am I if I am not doing these things? Man, it was it was a hard year. Hard years. And it felt like I was standing in the midst of the rubble. And yet, amazingly, there was grace there too. There was grace in, in wonderful friends in whom I could confide and who supported me and stood by me and kept loving me, even when I was not real sure that I was too lovable myself. There was grace in that what I'm tempted to call a happenstance conversation, but it really wasn't. It was really a spirit-led conversation, which was appropriate because it was in the context of spiritual direction. I met with uh, the woman with whom I was doing spiritual direction as all of this was happening and told her what I was dealing with. And she was this amazing Franciscan nun who was head of a um, conference center, a retreat center. And she said, you know, there's this group here that, that meets here every year that, that deals with these things. I'm, I'm not quite sure of what it is that they do, but it seems to help. And on the basis of that, I mean, I was so desperate. On the basis of that, I called the leader of that workshop, and I signed myself up, and I showed up not knowing anything about what was to come. And I certainly didn't know that it would change my life, not only in terms of healing, not only that I would have an amazing healing experiences there and in subsequent workshops there, and I went out to California and did the same workshop out there, but that I would also be invited to train with this staff who, incidentally, used to work with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on her staff and help run her workshops. So I got to train with them, and then they asked me to apprentice with them, and then they asked me to be on staff with them. And as the years went on, I had had an amazing experience. I learned so much. If I am even mildly competent as a therapist, it is because of working with them and what I got to see and learn and absorb. And not only that, but as they began to retire, we kept going. And so now... Every year that I'm not that we are not in a pandemic that prevents us from doing this, but every year I go up to Maine and uh, in the spring, and we do a, a very similar grief workshop where powerful healing happens. And most every fall, we go back to that retreat center and do the same grief workshop where amazing healing happens. And it has been nearly 20 years that I have been privileged to be a part of such amazing work. And there never would have been space for such a work 
without the rubble. Now, please don't hear me saying that it really swell when awful things happen to you. Oh, that is so good because the awful stuff is just plain awful. And it is. It is. And please don't hear me saying, oh, God sent this to you just so you could have this blessing. Uh Uh-uh, I don't. I don't think God works that way. What I do want you to hear me say is, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what kind of rubble we find ourselves in the midst of, God's grace does not stop working. It just doesn't stop. It is relentless, and it keeps working and and creating and bringing life where we are certain there is no more life left. Which brings me back around to Isaiah and Jeremiah, because in the later chapters of those books, there is such amazing, heartfelt poetry of God's love for these people. God, even though they had completely blown it, even though the really big mess they were in was completely a result of their own doing, their own bad choices, they did not make good choices like we try to teach our kids. They did not make good choices, and they suffered as as a consequence of that. Even with all of that, God doesn't abandon them. And the words are tender and heartfelt. So I I was recently working on a project of um, writing reflections on 14 words that come out of this pandemic. And um, I wrote one that is based on, on these texts from Isaiah and Jeremiah, and I want to share that one with you. It's called Exile. They lost it all, God, and it was all their stubborn doing. You tried to warn them over and over and over again that you would not save them from themselves. They didn't listen and loss rumbled over them like a terrible bulldozer, scraping away all they held dear. Everything lost. You'd be in your rights to tell them I told you so, and don't you know I would have given that a thought or two if I had been you. But you didn't. You didn't kick the beaten dog. You didn't yell that this is what they deserved after all, and maybe next time they'd listen, if indeed there was a next time, like I might do if I were you. Instead, you sing to them. You sing such sweet lullabies of how you hold them in your heart like a woman cradles deep in her soul the child she has carried in her body or how you have their names tattooed on the palms of your hands, because where else are they so visible to you 
as you go about your day. Like a child broken with the shame of what they have done, they call out and you welcome them back, gently wrapping your arms around them and whispering soft in their ears, I love you. You don't even know how much I love you. You can't even guess how much I love you. The story, your story, does not end here. I love you. And so you find us in the midst of the perfectly fine messes we've made for ourselves and the exiles in which we find ourselves, and you wrap your arms around us and pull us close and whisper in our ears, you don't even know how much I love you. You can't even guess how much I love you. The story, your story, does not end here. I love you. So if you find yourself in some rubble these days, take courage and take comfort because the God who calls us and created us loves us still. We don't even know how much God loves us. Hey, thanks for joining me. If you want to find out more about what I'm doing, you can go to heartcallings.com and find there information. You can find there my blog and you can find information about my new community of holy stragglers. I hope you'll think about joining us. In the meantime, take care.